0: We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is produced, the Wajak Noongar people, and pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Courtney, guess what? What? Apparently, this is episode number 50.
1: Oh my God. crazy, isn't
0: it? We've done 50. I know. I thought we was, we'd struggle to get to 15, let alone 50.
1: Yeah. So did I. I thought, you know, a couple of episodes and uh, no more interest. So uh, 50's great.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So a, a shout out to everyone who has listened to some of the episodes so far.
1: Yeah. We definitely appreciate it. Uh, it's been a really fun adventure so far and, and we've loved having people on and um, the support that we get as well. It's very cool.
0: Yeah, excellent. All right. Well, we will let people have a listen to um, an excellent episode 50, uh, and we'll, which we'll introduce shortly. Well, Courtney, we've just had public health royalty on the podcast.
1: We have, which is fantastic for, for us and our listeners to have people who are super experienced uh, in whatever prevention public health area. Uh, yeah, it's, mm. it's really great.
0: Of course, I'm talking about Professor Mike Daub.
1: Yeah, and you might have heard his name uh, surrounding anything to do with uh, smoking and all of the the policy and um, prevention techniques a- around smoking here in Western Australia and, and yeah. also Australia and international and all sorts of stuff, yeah. Yeah,
0: so here yeah, he was one of the people behind Plain Packaging getting introduced in Australia, which was a world first um, and, you know, various rises in ta- taxes on tobacco and as you'll hear in that conversation, he's he's generally interested in um Harmful health behaviors and harmful health issues. Mm. Trying to prevent harms, health harms. Yeah, you know, yeah, particularly from
1: like the industry perspective, like yeah. how to to kind of stop industries influencing. Yeah. Uh, bad health. I behaviors. think he, he
0: refers to commercial determinants of health. Yeah, you know, where there's a yeah. profit, it doesn't matter if the thing's harmful. There's a there's a way around it, you know, of yeah. making it so. This
1: is a a fantastic conversation, and we hope you enjoy it. Uh, there's lots of Really cool, cool little tidbits in there. I think, uh, yeah, it's yeah. really, really fun conversation.
0: So I'd like to welcome Emeritus Professor Mike Dobb to the podcast. Thanks for joining us, Mike. It's good to be here. <laughs> um, now. I'd say most people that listen to this podcast are going to know who you are, but would you like just to give yourself a brief intro as to, you know, wh- where you come from and, and what you're doing?
2: Okay. Uh, <laughs> <coughs> I'll make, I will make it brief. Yeah, yeah. that's fine. Uh, so, I'm an emeritus professor, which means that I'm technically retired, yep. uh, so don't believe that retirement is everything it's cracked up to be. Uh, still so, working. <laughs> still, still working flat out, but on things that interest me and without having to run things. And I've pretty much stopped doing media because mm-hmm. that was – I just was doing so much of that. And I thought after 50 years of that, I can give up that. So, um, I'll just take you very briefly through my early career. Ooh, yeah, right. Nice. Uh, so, I took a degree in English uh, way back when. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't know what I wanted to do. Went into management training, uh, graduate management trainee. This is in the UK. Then – wasn't satisfied with that, uh, and uh, went to work for an organisation called Shelter, the National Campaign for the Homeless, which in the UK at that stage was really the first of the modern style pressure groups in mm. in health and social areas. So I spent three years there, uh, regional organiser, youth director. Uh, had a fantastic time. Learned a huge amount. And then uh, I went, I um, applied for three jobs, uh, and I went to the lowest paid, uh, (laughs) which which was as assistant director of a new organization called Action on Smoking and Health, or ASH, which had been established under the auspices of the Royal College of Physicians. Uh, And the then director was an honorary director who moved on and I became director. I was the first full-time director. So I that really was about starting modern-style tobacco campaigning in the UK. Uh, and that was... Um, It was a different world then. What sort of year are we talking? Uh, 73. 73, okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm that old. (laughs) And uh, uh, so it was about starting that modern style of campaigning in the UK. Had tremendous support from wonderful mentors. Uh, The then Chief Medical Officer, Sir George Godber, and various others were terrific. But of course, smoking was everywhere. The tobacco industry was just dominant. Mm-hmm. I learned very early about the way they worked uh, fairly early on I started something that's now become commonplace in tobacco and so on which was buying one share in each of the major tobacco companies so you could go to their AGMs and ask oh. innocuous questions like how many deaths did your products cause in the last year
1: mm-hmm. the um, Clever. Yeah. And,
2: uh, and so on and after the first of those the chairman of Rothmans International, Lord Pritchard walked down a corridor with me and offered me very generous funding to work in my, any campaign of my choice other than tobacco. <laughs> uh, so I learned a bit about tobacco industry very early, but it was also really starting the push in the UK mm-hmm. um, against the tobacco industry and firm policies and so on. So I did that for six years, did a lot of inter- started doing a lot of international work uh, with the UIC International Union Against Cancer and WHO. Uh, then I went to Edinburgh University to be a senior lecturer in the Department of Community Medicine, and kept working, of course, on tobacco and also on alcohol and mm. range of other areas. Uh, and then, sorry, it's a bit longer than I intended, but it's it's a good story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then, in eighty-two or eighty-three, I was selected for appointment as essentially as the the as the director of campaigns. I've got the formal title at the national organization the health education council in london government organization so i was selected for appointment and the tobacco and alcohol industries lobbied and ministers overruled my appointment okay so that became quite a big media story yeah of course um and i learned a lesson from that too and uh then i had a phone call from western australia where i'd come to visit a few times as in my role as you know traveling guru um and uh, they were just reorganizing the department. And I was off a senior position and the executive of the health department here, essentially running prevention programs. So I came out here thinking I'd spend a year or two mm-hmm. and uh, best place in the world to live and I've been here ever since. Mm-hmm. Uh, so various positions then in government, a bit outside but primarily in government, ended up as director general of the health department which is where all the gray hair comes from, (laughs) Um, but always the focus on prevention. And then in 2005, uh, I moved back to the academic role, because you can only run a health department for so long, Um, and uh, went to be a professor of health policy at Curtin, so teaching, research and so on and, and running, you know, Public Health Advocacy Institute and other things. Um, and, you know, president of ACOSH and of Public Health Association. Well. So lots of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Does that give you... It
0: does, Absolutely. yeah. So like ACOSH is the Australian Council on, on smoking, smoking and Health. health. Yep. Yeah. All right. I have a
1: question that goes right back to the beginning of that. What was the first uh, ever campaign for anti-smoking that you did in um, England as that that startup group in the 1970s. Like what was the first one or like the, the biggest one that you remember from those six years? Look, the
2: first thing yeah. was getting people to agree on a consensus position. Because mm. this is one thing I've learned about advocacy. It's you can't have lots of people going in different directions. You've got to be working together. And what the Royal College physicians and others have done was develop wonderful reports about the health consequences, which just got more and more and more especially then after the evidence on passive smoking in 1981 um but uh, they weren't they weren't pressing for common policy positions so i think you know, the first thing was to get common policy positions then it was to press in areas that are that were just ripe for it such as the, the massive tobacco advertising Uh, that there was, Mm. and really to expose the activities of the tobacco industry. And so we got more and more and more controls on tobacco advertising, and then went into things like health warnings and public education and and so on. But I think exposing the activities and Mm. approach of the tobacco industry was probably the first big one, and the
0: sort of underbelly of corruption that went on and still continues. Yeah. Wait, so that, that sort of corruption, how does it manifest? Or what are some of the most common tactics that you, that you found over the years? Well, even now we still don't know the extent
2: of it, because so much of it goes on behind the scenes. And but we learned a lot from litigation in the states, uh, as a result of which tens of millions of confidential tobacco industry documents. Uh, were, were released. Had to be disclosed, right? Yeah. By court yep. order. Yep. Yeah, okay. yeah, uh, And so there is so much lobbying that goes on behind the scenes. There's money that's changing hands. There's donations to political parties. Mm-hmm. There's work through front groups. It really is, you know, the tobacco industry it does that probably better than any other group. Because mm-hmm. here you have an industry that causes... It's the vector. It causes 8 million deaths a year. Mm-hmm. And they're still surviving. 70-odd yeah. years mm-hmm. after Sir Richard Dahl, you, whom you'd know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, after uh, uh, Sir Richard Doll uh, and, and Austin Bradford Hill yeah. um, uh, did their just you know, stunningly important work demonstrating that smoking's lethal, you still have an industry that's flourishing yeah. and that's claiming to be the good guys now. <laughs> um, and that causes eight 8 million deaths a year. Yes. So yeah. they're doing that directly through promotion, whatever else, and indirectly through just every possible means mm. and now even worse through
0: social marketing. So Sir Richard Dole's work is a really good case study because he actually had to take sort of a bit of an indirect route with his research, didn't he? He couldn't actually address smoking per se. He had to look at… Was it heart disease or something else in the first instance? Well, and they, then, they looked at various
2: things, and then, and then they looked at smoking, and they looked at uh, uh, but uh, you know, what, what people weren't. There was, in the UK, still uh, a lot of... Uh, uh, there's all, There was all kinds of fog and whatever else, and people thought that might be the issue. And then eventually uh, uh, the Dolent Hill study was published. Well, there were two. There was Dolent Hill here and Winter and Graham... Uh, in 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 the states, and uh, uh, the uh, the Donald Hill study, and then the doctors' study, in published I think 19, 1954, mm-hmm. uh, which just demonstrated beyond doubt that smoking was lethal. And then so much more evidence came mm-hmm. through, you know, not just smoking and cancer and other forms of cancer, and smoking and heart disease, and mm. you know, and you name it. Uh, but uh, you know, but the industry still uh, still survives. Richard Doll was uh, was a wonderful figure, um, but you know, and, and uh, uh, the only thing I can hold against him is that um, on one occasion when he and his wife, Lady Doll, Joan Doll, uh, were visiting Australia and they came to dinner, and uh, uh, they uh, and I, I'd been I'd just arrived in Perth or year after. And uh, Joan Dahl, who's a very formidable aristocratic type lady, said to Ruth, my then wife, have you met Michael's mother? Ruth said, no, but she's coming out at Christmas, and I'm so looking forward to meeting her. And Joan looked even more firmly at her and said, you'll find her rather wearing. <laughs> 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 but, but that apart, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, sorry, you only want serious stuff in this. <laughs> no, no, that's no, no, no it's <laughs> um, That sounds but, pretty uh, serious. <laughs> but uh, no, he, he was – but really interesting is that we were talking about the tobacco industry until – one of the things I had to – do I guess was uh, to, to help on was that for many years the tobacco industry were trying to present themselves as being the decent scientists and so on, mm-hmm. and even you know work trying to work with people like Richard Doll and others, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of scientists were still happy to go along with that for a long time. Not Richard, in fairness, but a lot of others were. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so uh, It's amazing it,
1: what money can do. <laughs> yeah. And it still
2: does. You yeah. know, There are still mm-hmm. people who Absolutely. are taking that money yeah. uh, and finding excuses. Yeah. And what mm-hmm. you see is that happening in other areas. I've done quite a lot of work in
0: alcohol.
1: Mm-hmm. food. I'm,
0: Junk food, gambling. Gambling Gambling is probably one of the worst right now in terms of how pervasive it is and how in the public spotlight it is, right? Because you just get bombarded with gambling ads Mm. all the time. And
2: there are so many similarities, so many Mm. similarities across these. You know, the the, the phrase, the commercial determinants of health Mm. uh, is coming through. It's harmful industries. And they all work in the same sort of way. They deny the evidence. Mm -hmm. Well then they sort of accept the evidence. Even with tobacco, then I say, well, we know that smoking is harmful. But you, when you look at their websites, it never actually says, or very rarely says smoking kills. Mm-hmm. Smoking causes cancer. You know, It doesn't say that. They deny the evidence. Then they try to downplay it. They present themselves as the good guys trying to find solutions so that you can
1: Keep doing it. <laughs> keep doing it in
2: a responsible way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they target kids.
1: Mm-hmm. They target
2: people in vulnerable communities, low and middle income countries and so on. So a lot of commonalities and not surprisingly, a lot of people who sit on the same sort of boards and use the same sort of advertising agencies. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that, that phrase, the, the responsibly – Gamble responsibly. Yeah, yeah, gamble responsibly. Drink responsibly. Drink responsibly, yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> eat junk food in moderate levels. That's yeah. responsible for your diet. Like, it's crazy how, that was, how prominent that phrase is. That yeah. was
0: Coca-Cola's answer was to sell smaller cans of Coke. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But probably at the same price. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, and, and the whole... Um, Responsible,
2: this, that, or the other theme is, is <coughs> you see. In fact, some colleagues at Deakin, uh, whom I'm working, are, are doing something uh, on this at the moment, looking at the use of that terminology, uh, because you know, the the in Victoria, uh, they have a body that's supposed to be a government body that's supposed to be doing something about gambling, but the terms of reference are actually to Promote responsible gambling. Okay? Oh, so oh no. You know, Technically,
1: that's none, but... So that's, that's promoting gambling, essentially. <laughs> it's promoting essentially. Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: yeah. And responsible is a theme mm. that I've yeah. seen even in today's uh, paper, you know, alcohol ads, where they say,
0: tiny little print, you know, mm. we, we support yeah. responsible... Yeah,
1: yeah, it's yeah, garbage. Sure.
0: It's just, just we, garbage. We support, support drinking, but responsible yeah. in brackets. Yeah. As long thing. as you're yeah. aware
1: yeah. of what you're doing, yeah. it's fine. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I wanted yeah. to get you to talk a bit more about um, the fronts that you mentioned. How these yep. companies cover their activities by mm. distracting you with some sort of glossy brochure or some company that they've set up.
1: They must have some very clever people working there to come up with those yeah. kind of things
0: as and, well. And 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 the role they those those organisations play and how they affect policy and that sort of thing. Yep. Yeah.
2: So just um, just to come back to your point, Courtney, for a moment. Yeah. Uh, when you say they must have really clever people, they do. Yeah and there's one huge difference that i see between people then and now when i started mm-hmm. the people at the top of the industry were people who'd come into that industry at a time when well yes there was evidence but it was still coming through and you could and they'd come into the industry at a time when it was still still seen quite reputable mm-hmm. so yeah they made some terrible decisions yeah but you could sort of understand why, whereas now anybody working for the tobacco industry or the gambling industry, but anybody working for the tobacco industry knows exactly, has come into that industry knowing exactly the harms that it does. Mm-hmm. Okay? So it's a different and more cynical and more ruthless type, a much tougher. Second point is that uh, they do find, it's interesting, when you look at their de- statutory declarations in the states but elsewhere too they say that they one of their risks is that they may not be able to get the best people working for them because mm-hmm. of their reputation but you pay a lot of money you get a lot of very smart people and they can throw as much as they like mm-hmm. at it so uh they work directly and what we were seeing was a lot mm-hmm. of working through um you know, always through public relations groups and whatever else but and there have always been some front groups, but the use of front groups has just increased substantially. And to take one example, um, uh, I mean, even in the last day or two, there's a really there's been a really good piece by some colleagues in uh, uh, the BMJ's Tobacco Control Journal mm-hmm. about an organisation called the Foundation for a Smoke Free World. Mm-hmm. Now, the Foundation for a Smoke Free World. Was set up by the Philip Morris Tobacco Company, claiming that it's you know totally independent. On it's just entirely funded, and their initial budget I think was it was was getting was close to a billion dollars over ten years. They've reduced that a bit, but it's still. There. And uh, uh, it, it was set up uh, to promote essentially to promote alternatives and their new. Fancy new products and all the distraction activities. Smokeless tobacco.
0: Yeah, well, yeah and, yeah,
2: and you know, e-cigarettes and yeah. and with Philip Morris, uh, uh, IQOS, one of their other and so on, and but also doing quite damaging stuff, attacking and criticising WHO and others, mm. and you can follow a. That uh, uh, you can follow the dots. So Philip Morris funds the Foundation for a Smoke-Free World. Foundation for a Smoke-Free World funds other organisations. They then fund other organisations in turn, and the people who are writing for those, who are getting research grants, whatever else, very often just say they either don't don't um, uh, 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 don't acknowledge any. Mm. funding or they just say we're funded by the foundation for a smoke-free world without saying that (laughs) it's entirely philip morris Morris, so we're seeing quite a lot of front organizations and we're also seeing some of these think tanks and so on Mm. that don't acknowledge funding but then you look and you find that there's 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 dirty money in there Mm. so it's it's worrying and i'll just follow on that for a moment one reason it's it's doubly worrying because what they do through social media now mm-hmm. is bully and intimidate people out of action. And there's been some really nasty stuff going on. And we see that people who might at other times actually be active in this area, they're chilled out of it. Yeah. And so it's another tobacco industry tactic. What, what sort of tactics do they use on social media to do that? Oh, personal attacks, personal abuse. So just
0: trolling, just being nasty. Uh,
2: Trolling and so on. And sometimes it's through people who might look respectable, but in fact are associated with those organizations. And they just attack and abuse individuals. They do it through – I never know which of you to look at. I'll I'll I'll, I'll just just look straight ahead. (laughs) Uh, uh, They they attack and abuse individuals personally. And the more prominent you get, uh, the more personal attacks they are. Mm. And they'll find anything. And – Um, uh, uh, I'm very much aware of people Mm. who have been intimidated Mm. out of social media and intimidated out of work in this area uh, because of that. So it's a very clear tobacco industry tactic.
1: Did you experience that?
2: I experienced a whole heap of abuse at various different times. Mm. Um, I should tell you that uh, my first appearance in um, um, – when the tobacco industry documents came out in the States – I did what any, which was in the late 1990s, I did what any decent researcher does and looked myself up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, the, my earliest appearance in industry stuff was in 1973, when I was described as an earnest, dogmatic young man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, not young anymore. <laughs> uh, but the, um, uh, uh, the the personal abuse I've had has been has been substantial. Mm. Uh, some of it on email, some of it on online. Line, some of it publicly, people yeah. who attack you. Right. Um, some of it personal. Uh, you know, when you get an email with uh, um, uh, words that even my son wouldn't use, mm. I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, uh, you know, some of it really is nasty mm. stuff, mm. and mm. they accuse you of all kinds of stuff. It uh, this is abominable. Cool. So, I do very little by way of social media myself now. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, you could say, I've been intimidated out of out of that. And right. if something like me has been, what's it like for a 30-year-old researcher is just making their way, mm-hmm. you
0: know? Yeah. Awful. Yeah. What, what sort of justification do they provide for behaving like that? Like when they're attacking you publicly, for example, what what, are, what sort of criticisms are they making of you and how are they? Oh, they, they, they tell us that,
2: um, uh, actually, a few years ago, I wrote a piece in the... Uh, uh, MJA called targets and abuse in which I, even at that time, went through. So, for example, in, you know, the whole area around e-cigarettes and uh, novel products. Um, uh, they use, they accuse you of supporting the tobacco industry, and that because you're not going every inch of the way with them on e-cigarettes, you're a desk murderer. Um,
0: yeah, you know, that kind of stuff. So are people you're that are a are vapor anti- hater, you're a this, you're a that. It's okay. just outrageous. So these are people that are trying to twist the fact that you're raising concerns about e-cigarettes yeah. and accusing you of supporting big tobacco because you're you're saying that you don't think e-cigarettes are a good idea.
2: Yeah, and and ironically, the position that I and various colleagues take is not that we're against this or that on principle. It's that... First of all, well, I'll come, to, no, I'll come to the top in a moment. It's that uh, uh, there have been products like that produced by tobacco companies over the decades. You know, always there's going to be a miracle solution and so on. Uh, that at the same time as they're doing this, they're doing everything they can to sell and promote the traditional profitable uh product. yeah. yeah. Uh, the evidence on these cigarettes for quitting is is you know, unless you do it with strong counseling and behavioural support, which very few people do, then, you know, they're just another possible mm. means of quitting. But um there's a lot of evidence now about that they're a great way to get kids started on uh, 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 on nicotine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, uh, the evidence that they're harmful is 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 significant, and they're a huge distraction mm-hmm. because since we've seen all the publicity about e-cigarettes and so on, we've seen very little about the harms of tobacco, and the federal government's essentially stopped running its big media campaigns, because they're just focusing on trying to deal with, with e-cigarettes. Mm. So, anyway, I don't want to spend all the time on that, but it's, it's a—you um, um, asked about well, the first campaigns, and back in the early 70s, in the UK, there was tobacco substitutes, okay? okay. And they were heavily promoted. Right. And it was the same kind of uh, stuff, and it turned out that they produced just as much tar and nicotine and so on as anything else on the market, and eventually they were a flop. But we had to spend a few years combating uh, combating that. Mm-hmm. So, um, but the people who are promoting them um, are just absolutely persistent and uh, and aggressive and abusive, mm-hmm. very unpleasant.
1: Mm-hmm. And it just seems like the same marketing styles over and over again. If, you know, they had uh, these, like, alternatives back then, it's, like, the same thing every few years to kind of be a distraction from the actual product that they're selling. Yeah.
0: Yep. Very interesting. So so you sort of opened Pandora's box of e-cigarettes, so I (laughs) I feel like we should step inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's obviously – I mean, I'm I'm assuming this is a result of tobacco industry kind of tactics – there seems to be a lot of conjecture about the evidence and Public Health England gets cited as you know, um, uh, evidence for e-cigarettes being effective and safe and all that sort of stuff. And then from the other side, you have a lot of people saying, well, that's not true. All these other studies you know, kind of contradict that. Do you want to talk us through the landscape? Because it seems really complicated and, and kind of um, hard to follow. Well, yeah,
2: and, and as you say, it is a bit of a Pandora's box and I think we probably all also need to make sure that we don't get too much caught up in that distraction. Mm -hmm. Um, So let me start off by saying that we know exactly what's needed to reduce smoking. Uh, We know the comprehensive approach that's needed, and we've known that for more than 40 years. Uh, One of the first uh, reports, well, the first WHO report I was involved in in 1979 essentially set that out. The biggest difference since then is that we've got the 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 evidence on um, passive smoking from Takeshi Hirayama's work in 1981, Um, and uh, I mean Takeshi, you've seen, you know, his his work, Mm -hmm. and he was one of the greats. And he and Sir Austin Bradford Hill and I share the main criterion for being a a tobacco real tobacco expert, which is that we're all short. but uh, uh, we know exactly what's needed to reduce smoking: a comprehensive approach. No one magic, magic bullet. Public education uh, and cessation support. Uh, work on the product itself. Pup strong um, uh, uh, health warnings. And, you know, I chaired the committee that recommended plain packaging and so on, and mm-hmm. um, all the measures, and, and a ra- r- range of other measures, all measures, non-smoking measures and so on, all measures that the industry opposes. But we know exactly what's needed. Mm-hmm. So e-cigarettes and all those other things are just, uh, above all, a huge distraction from that. So in terms of e-cigarettes and the other novel products, mm-hmm. which are developing almost daily. I mean, there are thousands of them there. Uh, what sort of things are we kinds talking about? Fli-
0: but, well, uh, what sort of products? I'm familiar with e-cigarettes, but I'm not oh, really... Oh, e-cigarettes, and then there's
2: there's iQuas and there's Glow, and there's Plume. All of the companies, they're all different types of... Uh, you know, there's there's nicotine in there, all kinds S- of... Other they're kind all vape, vaping type... Vaping type products, product. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. yeah. All right. So, um, essentially the, the evidence tells us that Uh, uh, they may help some people. Some of them may help some people to quit, particularly if used alongside lots of behavioral counseling. Um, Are they brilliant in comparison? You know, the evidence is, I think, both the the reports say very limited as to whether they actually do very much in terms of Mm -hmm. cessation. There's growing evidence of harms. There's huge evidence now that in uh, in countries like the U.S. and Canada and even New Zealand, which have allowed e-cigarettes in some shape or form into a market, that uh, they're just they're wonderful for kids, and especially now the the new the new products, you know, which are which they they look glossy, they mm. they look they're a bit colourful. like they look like USBs, mm. you know, and mm. so on, very attractive to kids. Mm. Um, so um, yes, there's. You know, there are some scientists and some decent scientists. You know, it's not they're not all evil. Mm. There are some decent scientists who think that they do have a role. That's particularly strong in the UK, where there's a quite a few, quite strong support. But the global position is internationally. Uh, the WHO report came out just a few weeks ago that really summarised the evidence and, and the position. And that essentially says be very, very cautious about them and get on with the task of reducing smoking and don't tobacco, be distracted yeah. and look mm. to see what the tobacco industry is trying to do through these products.
0: Yeah,
2: it's interesting. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's um, uh, uh, for me, it's, if you look back, so what are we in now, 2021? Uh, if you look back 10 years, we were actually doing pretty damn well. Mm. Smoking declining. And let's not forget, smoking has declined dramatically <clears throat> over the years. You know, there are people who say it's stalled and so on. It goes, you know, this and this and this. It, it, it isn't it isn't all perfect, but it's mm. been declining dramatically in adults, in kids, in disadvantaged communities. Mm-hmm. Again, not fast enough, but it's, you know, it's the tackling thing. a digital smoking program is just fantastic and okay. doing great things. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Smoking was declining. The tobacco industry was um, – uh, uh, reputation was uh, getting worse and worse. Uh, we, get, we were getting more and more measures, you know, non-smoking errors and this and that and the other. Um, we had plain packaging legislation despite huge industry opposition. Mm-hmm. I must say just in passing there uh, uh, to, uh, as they would say in – Sporting parlance, I should give a shout out to uh, Nicola Roxon, the health minister, uh, who was just so strong in Mm. making that happen. So Mm. we were actually doing pretty well. Mm. And if that had continued, then I think we would have had more measures in there. We had big public education programs. Mm. And thanks, I think, largely to the advent of e-cigarettes and the publicist around it, that's come to a bit of a grinding halt Okay. And that I think is the biggest threat we've got to tobacco yeah. control globally and in Australia.
0: So do you think that there's some evidence to suggest that people will get initiated into smoking through vaping or e-cigarettes, and then may go on to start smoking? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean the
2: WHO report. I know there are different. You'll find different science. The WHO report concludes that uh, uh, for those kids who are vaping, there's a two to three, two to three times greater a likelihood that they'll start smoking. Right, okay. Um, and so if you're in the tobacco industry, you've got the best of both worlds mm-hmm. because what you're doing is you're, you've, got, you, you've got cigarettes, and which were declining mm-hmm. you know, and so on, but still doing really well and increasing in some countries. Mm-hmm. Right. And you've got these other products as well.
1: They kind yeah. of enable... The new population, yeah, yeah, and
2: and yeah. it'll get you, you know, get you a new market. Yeah, <laughs> and then what the what we're seeing with the tobacco industry is, they're also all the companies are now getting uh, getting big on cannabis. Yep, mm-hmm. uh, and we're seeing and uh, looking at cannabis vaping. Yeah, mm-hmm. so you know, the, for the, from their point of view, um, you know, it's just um, uh, just uh, open slather that they, you know, they it's not. Stopping selling cigarettes, which is their ridiculous claim. Uh, It's keep selling as many cigarettes as possible and develop new markets as well.
0: Hi, we hope you're enjoying this episode of The Meaning of Health. Just a quick reminder that you can email us at outlook.com or tweet us at healthmeanswhat. And if you have a minute and you've enjoyed listening to this episode or any of the other episodes... It'd be great if you could go and rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. It helps other people find us. Now back to the show. I guess if they if they were truly trying to reduce rates of smoking by introducing an alternative, then they would just stop with tobacco completely, wouldn't they? And just say, right, for those people that um, that haven't been able to wean themselves off vaping or inhaling something, here's a... A safe alternative in quotation marks, <laughs> but they're still selling tobacco at the same time,
2: and it, yeah. they're not only still selling tobacco at the same time. They're doing everything they can to increase the markets and to oppose the measures that will reduce smoking. Mm-hmm. You might have some credibility if they were saying, "Oh yeah, 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 no, we'll we'll go with this and we'll go with that, and we'll support plain packaging. Everyone do this." Yeah. Uh-uh. No, they're opposing everything. the measures mm-hmm. uh, uh, that work, and yes. And if they really did care... Look, back in the early 50s, tobacco company leaders were saying if there was, if there was real evidence about anything harmful in cigarettes, we'd stop selling them. Right. Stop making them. But well,
1: it's a business. <laughs> they make money off of it. Yeah, so That's They're not right. going to do that.
2: Yeah, so it's <laughs> so Now, we're told, you know, some of the e-cigarette yeah. advocates say, no, 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 you know, it's, it's unrealistic to say that because they've got to make money for their shareholders. Well, sorry, but... Yeah. Bottom line is, if they really cared about health, public health, Mm. they would not be selling a product they know in Australia is going to kill two in three of its regular users.
0: Can I ask you, Mike... Um, During that Nicola Roxon era, sort of the Rudd-Gillard government years, um, obviously there was furious lobbying going on and I'm assuming you were part of those conversations on some level. Do you want to give us a bit of insight into what the back and forth was? What were the tobacco companies coming at the government with um, to (coughs) refute some of these suggestions about plain packaging and price increases and that sort of thing and what were you guys responding with? Yeah. Um, As I said, huge credit to Nicola.
2: Uh, and one of the lessons I've learned over years in health is that you get action when you have a strong, determined health minister. Okay? So when you, and, and so often in the past, it's changing now, particularly in the current climate, but health in, so often was a sort of second division ministry, second 11 ministry. Uh, and, but when you've got a strong minister who actually wants action, then you get change. If you look at another area, for example, which I was involved in, affects far fewer people, but it's an example. Uh, when Jim McGinty was health minister here, and he was a very strong figure in the government, <coughs> um, and I was director general of health, and he said to me, uh, What can I do for public health that won't cost anything? Great question. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. So I went and had, I was thinking about it. I went and had a chat with Fiona Stanley, and she and Carol Bauer had, of course, done superb work on uh, dietary folate, folate fortification, in terms of preventing neurotube defects. And the tobacco industry, the, tobacco, the food industry, opposed any kind of fortification because that was a step down the route to regulation. So we took that to Jim, and he said, "Yep," uh, and he pushed that nationally. And it was pushed at the you know, the national ministerial fora. Um, and to cut a very long story short, particularly with advocacy from people like Fiona and Carol and so on. Uh, uh, and I worked closely with bureaucrats and with others. Uh, but with a strong minister pushing it, we got it. And it's been sensationally uh, successful in terms of uh, reducing neural tube defects, especially in Aboriginal populations.
1: Yeah, that project, I think, is... Like it's at least something that I got taught when I was doing my, my masters in public health. It's like one of the biggest public health success stories, I think, that's taught. Mm. Yeah. That's
2: stuff. And yeah. and it's and you know, you 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 have researchers, mm. phenomenally good researchers, you have people who are willing to be involved in advocacy, you have an industry that's opposing it, but you have a strong minister. Um, and sometimes and also you get you have media support. Mm. If I can now lapse into an anecdote for a second. Yes, please. Um, There was uh, at one stage, there was the crucial decision-making meeting of ministers. And we thought they were all going to go for it. And the federal government minister at the time was a junior health minister who was chairing that committee. And I won't name him. Uh, it was Christopher Pine.
0: Um,
2: <laughs> and uh, uh, a, a journalist here, Cathy O'Leary, from the, then from the West Australian, mm-hmm. phoned him the day before the meeting. And uh, he uh, said to her, oh, he's not sure that he was going to support it. He'd obviously been lobbied. Mm. So um, Kathy phoned. And so uh, we got on to Fiona. Fiona phoned Tony Abbott. And two hours later, Christopher Pine phoned the journalist back again, saying he might have been misunderstood, and he was actually totally in support of <laughs> folly <like>, fortification. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs>
0: how did we get on there? I don't, don't know. know. Well, I think the question was around the conversation. Oh yeah, I right, oh, right, 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 played yeah, packaging. And stuff. And yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. So strong minister. Yeah. Uh,
2: Nicola Roxon, huge tobacco industry lobbying, direct and indirect. Um, they used lobby companies. They, uh, I would get, I was chairing the committee, and so on. I would get emails from them saying, you know, hey, Mike, how about a chat? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, Nicola had told us that we did not need to respond. To the tobacco industry, we had to respond to food industry about this and alcohol. We didn't need to respond to the tobacco industry, so we knew that we were getting at people behind the scenes. We were lobbying; they were lobbying all parties. One of the other heroes was a, a Liberal member, Dr Mal Washer, who was a West Australian member mm-hmm. of Parliament, and uh, he phoned me one. Thursday Friday and said uh, actually about alcohol and I said would you mind talking with the media with the age want to talk about plain packaging didn't know what he was going to say and I knew he'd been lobbied Mm. and there was a wonderful quote from him in the paper on Sunday because the Liberal Party at that stage we weren't sure about and uh, he said um, that that He knows that there are some people who aren't happy about this and that and the other. He said, uh, um, uh, but um, whatever my party, I'm going to support it, he said, and whatever my party decides, I don't give a shit. Uh, (laughs) Good Australian politician. Mm. And once the most senior doctor in your party has said that, then so we got all support. But the industry lobbying was direct. It was indirect. They used their PR outfits and so on. But we were fortunate because we had a very strong Minister, And I still remember one of, one of the really nice moments in my career was when um, I was going in to do a lecture. Phone rang. I thought, I'll just take the call. And uh, it was Nicola Roxon saying, Mike, you can't tell anyone yet, but cabinets just agreed to taxing tobacco tax increases and plain packaging. And I couldn't talk about it, but I must have had a smile
0: from <laughs>
2: ear to ear. But, you know, that one... Um, and Nicola also, to a great credit, made sure there was decent funding for media campaigns and and, and all that kind of thing. Mm. So you know, at that stage we were doing great, but as I said, over the last few years, the impetus has gone, mm. and no lack of people pushing, but uh, um, it's it's. I think the industry lobbying's been having some impact.
0: Yeah. Okay. Because that. A lot of these policies. I, I did a law degree sort of in the mid sort of two thousand and tens, and that those decisions around plan packaging whatever spawned a few legal challenges around intellectual property law. That's right,
2: and it, really interesting areas because the industry was using everything. So they were using. They were. They took legal action here, uh, and they got smashed in the in the high court. They took legal action on agreements between Australia and Hong Kong. Mm. They took legal action in the World Trade Organization with countries like the Ukraine Mm. pushing their case, which is, you know, Ukraine has no trade with Australia, but nonetheless, Mm. and so on. So, you know, that's a good example of the sort of, they were just trying everything, litigation, Mm. you name it, distraction. Yeah, Uh, And Nicola got her share of abuse as well, I might Mm. say, as well. So um, it was an interesting campaign. Mm.
1: Yeah, it's... It's interesting, kind of juxtaposing that against things that are that are happening now. Um, you know, with like McDonald's ads and all that kind of stuff, and they've got all these like colorful toys and yeah, yeah, to get the kids <laughs> in. Um, yeah, it, uh, yeah. I just, I guess, I find it fascinating that we were successful in getting plain packaging for smoking um, and getting rid of those advertisements and, and all that kind of stuff, and yet for things that are, in my mind as equal important public health messages, like we still have McDonald's and KFC on sporting people Mm. and we have all of this other advertising that still happens... But we know the impact of it. We know yeah. the effects, yeah.
0: There's a burden. It contributes to the burden yeah. of disease, yeah. Yeah, two, two themes on
2: that. One is one of the frustrations... I never knew whether the glass is half full or half empty, you know. Yeah. One of the frustrations for me about various these campaigns is you can only have sort of one at a time. So yeah. the battle to get rid of tobacco advertising... Um, late, uh, here in the late 80s, early 90s was mm. just as fierce and aggressive and the industry running full-page ads, which they did. They were able to run advertising on plain packaging mm. mm-hmm. because it was political advertising, not tobacco advertising and mm-hmm. you know, all that kind right. of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so each of those campaigns, just massive, um, and uh, uh, and you can, you've got to do it, you can't do everything together. You know, you'd love to be able to have the comprehensive stuff, but you've got to do each one bit by bit by bit. Um, I think one difference between tobacco and the others, um, and that has changed, and my take, which probably won't make me popular in all quarters, is that for a long time, people working, for example, in the obesity area— didn't have the same unity and consensus position and so on uh, as we had in tobacco. Now, the tobacco one, of course, is being taken apart a bit by the industry, but nonetheless, yeah. they didn't have the same consensus position. I remember we talked about Nicola Roxon. I remember that uh, a conference we organized uh, about obesity, and we had various people speaking about. Obesity. And instead of pushing for the same thing, they all competed with each other. Mm. Mm. Um, food's more important. No, physical activity is more important. No, uh, the environment's more important. Yeah. That's you should and so reduce Nic- your sugar. You should yeah. reduce your fat. You should yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. And That's so ni- Nic- yeah. Nicola, as minister, would have gone away thinking, well, if they can't get their act together. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas with tobacco, plain packaging, we had our act together, everybody singing the same song. Mm. Mm. Um, so in some of those areas, there are far more people working than on tobacco, but they were they weren't united and so on, and they weren't they they weren't in the same advocacy mode. Now I think that's changed. Mm-hmm. One of the really exciting things for me in the last few years has been to see the way that people working in the obesity area, um, you know, led by some you know, fabulous people, mm-hmm. Jane Martin over in the uh, Eastern States, the Live Lighter Group here, and others. Um, They've been working together Mm -hmm. much more. And so I think we're seeing them uh, having a real impact now, which is matching that of tobacco. We've just got to make sure that in our different campaigns, we're not competing with each other. I've often Mm. been asked by media, is tobacco more important than obesity or alcohol? (laughs) And the answer is, no, they're all. all. We don't ask whether... Um, oncology is more important
0: than <laughs> cardiology. You know? Yeah, or diabetes. Or, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we've had people from the Cancer Council on a few times, and it seems like they collaborate widely with other agencies over in Melbourne and yeah. Sydney yes. and whatnot, and they share materials so they don't all have to produce their own materials. They can actually show some exactly. of the stuff from Sydney here, and it's yep. really, really good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you've kind of alluded there to some things that might not work, as well as things that do work in terms of advocacy. Do you want to just share some some catastrophic failures that you've <laughs> experienced? <laughs> well, a good start would be
2: that uh, exercise I was talking about, you know, that conference where mm. uh, they were they were all competing. Mm. I think there are. Um, I've, I've seen a few a few failures. Um, people who think that you can get what you want from politicians just by going in and thumping the table, right. <laughs> That doesn't work no. people who think you don't need to have all the evidence spot on uh, that that doesn't work um, uh, people who who uh, uh, just want to be in attack mode would has to be also very careful people who just want to align themselves with one side of politics um, uh, which you know, can get you somewhere mm. but plain packaging would be a good example where Governments change. And I remember Colin Barnett giving a talk to a public health group about uh, you know, political activity and so on. And he said, remember, governments change. So you need both sides. Mm-hmm. And getting support from both sides from for plain packaging was really important. So people, you know, you know, I've seen some pretty disastrous stuff where people think you're doing brilliantly with Party X. Mm-hmm. And then there's election. And Party Y just isn't interested in you or in them because they're aligned with uh, 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 mm-hmm. with with a, a particular a political party. Um, there are some campaigns that for some reason just don't fly and you do have to recognize populist needs in politics. So we were just talking a bit earlier about... Um, The physical health of people with mental health problems Mm -hmm. or prisoner health. Mm -hmm. Um, They're not populist issues. No. And so if you try to run that as a campaign before an election, prisoner health, for example, Mm -hmm. you're not going to get, you're just not going to get the the responses you want. That's the kind of campaign you run immediately after a government's been elected when it's got plenty of time. I've seen this catastrophic stuff with people lobbying at the wrong time. So, for example, if you want to get some change in the budget, you don't lobby in campaign a month before the budget's announced.
1: <laughs> right. Because it's the basically decisions... already done at that point, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's too late.
2: The decisions have been taken <laughs> yeah. months before. So, um yeah, I think we've, we've seen a few of uh, <laughs> a few failures and you've got to get your timing right.
1: How, how do you what are the things that you need to like consider to get your timing right?
2: Well a uh, favorite example which actually goes back a long way um, back in the late 1970s, the UK had a quite dynamic health minister, uh, Dr. David Owen medic. And he wanted to get the government um, he wanted to get the government really pushing prevention. So a lot of us did a lot of work on a report on prevention. It was called Prevention at Health, Everybody's Business. Huge amount of effort went into it was a really good report. It was going to be the government saying prevention's the thing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of work went into preparing the, uh, the media and so on. And there was a media conference, going to be a media conference at whatever it was, 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, going to be great coverage. And at 9 o'clock in the morning, the prime minister announced his resignation. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> 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 oh, no. And I can't remember if it got a paragraph in the obituaries column. But, oh, you know, it was, yeah. it was, uh, that was the end. In- so some of it is just. Uh, just luck unlucky. Just <laughs> luck. yeah but planning out as I said making sure that you know if you want to have an impact not 10 minutes before an election uh, but get the timing right ahead of, of, ahead of the election know when the, the key moment you know, budgets and so on mm-hmm. um, get the right group of people together think of new approaches you know you there's always a possibility for new approaches. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of thing that we did here a few years ago where we looked at the uh, mortality and morbidity, both for tobacco and then for other issues, um, by electorate. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because politicians, very conscious of their electorates.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Local, local media, love local stories. So mm-hmm. suddenly there was something free. So mm-hmm. there are always new approaches. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's you know, people like me have run out of ideas. It's for people like you to develop them.
0: <laughs> yeah, so we're probably ending, sorry nearing the end of our conversation. We've kind of been going for a little while. Um, yeah, I guess the future. So one of the things that sort of just notionally come up there was social media and whatnot. Now, that's largely unregulated. Um, is that sort of the new frontier? Because obviously tobacco companies are using all sorts of tactics, you know, Product placement with influencers and, and this sort of thing, and a lot of people get their news from social media these days, and that's you know spend more time doing that than they do looking at billboards or newspapers.
2: It's a new world, is not it? Yeah. And uh, um, <clears throat> you know, when we banned tobacco advertising uh, in in nineteen ninety one, that was terrific because we mm-hmm. banned all forms of tobacco advertising. You know, they would creep in somewhere here, but it banned all. Mm. Whereas now, it's coming in from everywhere. Mm. And it's the kind of um, – uh, we're getting almost saturation uh, approaches through, uh, through new media, through social media. And as you say, it is unregulated. And even though there are some notional regulations in the national context, it's coming in from overseas mm. and so on. And mm. similarly, Twitter and you know, Instagram and all those – uh, yeah. new media. You know, some of them platforms that not only I haven't heard of, <laughs> but my mid-thirties son hasn't heard of. <laughs> um uh, yeah. The the uh, um, uh, it's it's uh, that that's colossal. So I think we're going to need to find new ways of regulating that. Uh, and I think, and I, I, and that doesn't just apply obviously tobacco; it applies to or the harmful mm. uh, industries that are around. So a lot of thought is going into that. I think we've got to be a bit careful to about the way we present. Um, if you say you're against harmful industries, that doesn't mean you're against all industries.
0: Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. We're not against the academic industry. I mean, I know, I'm, I'm being <laughs> frivolous there, but yeah. um, we're not against uh, all industries. Mm. Um, we're not against... We're not against all the food industry, for heaven's sake. Mm. Um, and uh, we're not against... You, the um, hotels associated, people like that, mm. talk about anti-alcohol campaigners. Well, that's rubbish too. Mm. Um, so I think, I think we've just to be, be very careful in, 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 in the way we, we present. Uh, I think we do have a role now in increasing public awareness, though, of harmful industries... The commercial determinants of health of exposing their activities more, I think there are some other things that we need to do in the academic context, and that's helping and supporting researchers in this area mm-hmm. because they need protection yeah. and these are difficult areas to work in. so I think universities need to help in that uh, in that context uh, and and groups like NHMRC and others too, I think um uh, need help and, uh, and support there. Um, but, um, you know, WA has got a fantastic record in public health. Yep. Uh, we, um, one of my mentors when I came here was a wonderful man, Jim McNulty, Dr. Jim yep. McNulty, who was Commissioner of Public Health, who was the hero of Wittenoom. Mm-hmm. And Jim used to say about working in government – that uh, it's often better to have done nothing than to have done your best <laughs> <laughs> so occasionally just a bit cynical about politicians mm. but what he showed even then was that you present the evidence you expose it you present it in the right ways and in whitney Era, that was different mm-hmm. it was different different approach obviously um but there are people like him we've had wonderful epidemiologists yeah, you know, Bruce Armstrong and Darcy Holman and Conrad Yamrachik yep. and others yep. who've been fabulous, not just—and Fiona Stanley yep. uh, and Jonathan Karapetis now and others. Mm-hmm. And not just in presenting, in, in producing the evidence, doing the right research and so on, but in doing something with it. Mm. So— um, You know, we have our ups and downs, but Mm. I'm still pretty optimistic about um, uh, what public health can do Mm. uh, over time. So long as uh, I'm also incredibly optimistic about the next generations coming through. Mm. Uh, And that's where I think people like me need to sort of step out of their way and (laughs) let them uh, do the work that's needed.
1: So... Okay, on that, we've got, like, future for, for tobacco. What's, mm. What are you, are you doing now and what's the future for you personally?
2: Um, future for me personally? Look, I worry when I have to fill thing, credit card details in on, uh, uh, <laughs> online and yep. it says expiry date. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, so, but assuming I'm still around for a while, uh, uh, as I said, uh, I've, I've stopped doing media.
1: Yep. Um,
2: I think other people can do that. And also, frankly, if you do a lot of media, you get all these Eastern States calls at 3 o'clock in the morning oh, saying, oh, oh. Well, of course you're in WA, I'm sorry, but now you're awake. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, so I've, I've stopped doing that. I think that there, is, there are roles in terms of of writing, which I'm doing quite a bit of, of mentoring, mm-hmm. helping and supporting other people, um, of trying to help develop policy, and... Uh, And I was doing a lot of work, I still am, but I was doing a lot of work internationally on tobacco. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a sort of COVID beneficiary because uh, I don't have to travel as much now Mm. uh, and it's getting a bit exhausting, but but helping others uh, internationally. Um, My focus is really in three areas, tobacco, uh, gambling, which I think is just, it's fascinating and getting worse and worse as uh, the industry is getting worse and worse. Uh, and in making people aware of uh, uh, the need to expose and develop proper policy responses uh, to the um, um, to harmful industries. Mm-hmm. So that, that should keep me going for a while. And of course, uh, walking with my dog, yeah. which is probably the highest priority. <laughs> <in> the <world. laughs> yeah, I think
1: so. <laughs> you did
0: mention, I think maybe before we started recording, that yeah. your dog's uh, an editor of a number of channels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you're an academic,
2: can I take two minutes on this? Yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely, please. Yeah. So if you're an academic, note the sudden enthusiasm. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's because we all love dogs. <laughs> <laughs> if you're an academic, you get daily emails from predatory journals because academics need to publish and so they get emails from journals that essentially say just send us your paper and a few hundred or a few thousand dollars and we'll publish your paper and they're not real journals and it's phony and so on but it's a trap for younger academics (coughs) for people in developing countries and and others
1: Do do you get those emails
2: I get them every
0: day. Yeah, 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 yeah. so do I. Yeah. I
1: look at them to look for spelling mistakes and, and whether they've called me doctor we, or professor, yeah. even though I'm not. Uh, yeah, we, so enjoy yeah. that a little bit, but yeah.
0: Greetings of the day is another <laughs> Greetings of the day, yeah. yeah and yeah. I
2: recently had one that started Beloved Dr. Mike Doyle," <laughs> <laughs> And I thought, why don't I get that from The Lancet? <laughs> uh, so uh, they're dodgy gentlemen. Yeah. So my little dog, she's a little staffy, mm-hmm. rescue dog, um sits with me at the computer and she saw those coming in and she decided to do something about Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. So she put together a CV... Uh, she's called Ollie, or All the Doll to her friends. Uh, mm-hmm. A CV for Dr. Olivia Doll, senior lecturer in the Subiaco College of Veterinary Studies. Um, she set out her research in- interests, things like uh, um, the benefits of abdominal massage for medium sized canines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very important mm-hmm. research. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, and put together a really, ni- a really nice little CV. They're like photographs. Mm. So she found a photograph of Kylie Minogue, which fits very well there, <laughs> and she sent it off to various journals. Yeah. And within a week, she was on seven editorial boards. Right. Um, then uh, the West Australian ran a story on that, mm. which went viral. Mm-hmm. So she got a huge amount of media coverage from right. that, which had the serious um, uh, theme, of course, of exposing predatory journals. Mm-hmm. Then she was able to co-author a piece with an American staffie, a marine scientist who got in touch. And <laughs> they wrote a... Well, you know the issues about informed consent in medicine. Yes. Yeah? And so they wrote a really interesting paper which got published in one of these journals. Um which was about informed consent for male dogs before they're castrated. Mm-hmm. Okay. That mm-hmm. was really serious concern. Yeah, yeah definitely. Mm-hmm. Of course. Um, It's a common issue. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, uh, and then um, uh, Dr. Doll has since published various other papers. Okay. Um, she published one on, um, what she did on alcohol was actually quite interesting, Um Uh, and and, uh, one in which she was proposing novel approaches to medicine do-it-yourself colonoscopy Mm -hmm. uh, was one Mm -hmm. Uh, there was another one where um, there was one where um, she thought that she had the notion these all got published by the way
1: yeah Uh, were they published in actual journals? Or? In predatory journals. In, in predatory journals, yeah, So
0: usually online only, aren't they? Or? They're online yeah. and
2: they charge huge amounts. Yeah. But if you write and say, oh, well, you know, I'm a student or I'm a young Don't whatever, the brain, yeah. then you get 50 bucks and yeah, uh, nice. it's worth it for the <laughs> time. <Worth it. laughs> so uh, my favourite was learning from public health experience, one in which she, she looked at the uh, literature on prostate screening, prostate cancer screening, Um, Which is equivocal, I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, but she thought there's a lesson to be learned there from drink driving.
1: Mm.
2: Okay, so uh, her article proposed that uh, digital rectal examination should be uh, implemented by police at the roadside, okay, (laughs) (laughs) on a mandatory (laughs) basis. So they stop the car and they take the chap out and... (laughs) and uh to, and screen, that, to screen for prostate cancer yes. yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah you get a good yeah. random sample of the okay. population very good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yep yep uh and she pointed out that because police might need to be trained in this they should practice on their senior officers mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Absolutely. now that got published yeah, yeah. Wow. It got published so you know it's i mean yes it was fun and ridiculous mm. but um it 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 helps to expose just how dodgy these these things are and drawing attention to it is Mm. is worthwhile. So, um, and there's other stuff as well. Um, But uh, I I do think there's quite a serious issue there Mm. about the way these journals are just uh, capitalizing on on young academics.
1: It also points out um, that not everything you read in journal articles is going to be true as well. Like mm. I, I think that's that's big issue where people go, Oh, it's from an academic. It must be true. It must be real and you know, there's the flaws in the science and all that kind of stuff. Like it really points that out too. Like you can get things published. Yeah. Um, that will support your argument that don't make sense. The, yeah.
0: There is a resource as well, isn't there, that someone's compiled a list of predatory journals, I forget the God's name are you <laughs> Beale's, Beale's List. Yes, yeah, there is.
2: Although um, he stopped doing that for some reason, a bit unclear, and, and people think there might have been some pressure on him oh, or, okay. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, are, what's happening now, though, is two. i mean, this takes us into a slightly different area, so—but mm. um, uh, uh, we're seeing now some journals that may or may not be predatory, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and they look respectable. Um, and I got one— you, know, you get all these invitations to be on editorial boards, uh, which usually do nothing. But you know, I got one from a journal that has a reputation for being quite reputable. Mm. Uh, said, would you like to be on an editorial board? And I thought, well, I'll have a look at it. Uh, and then I looked, and I saw how many people on the editorial board: one thousand five hundred and sixty-two. Right. Yeah. You know, so it's just it's just baloney. Mm. And uh, but they make money. Yeah. So I think you know, your point. Courtney is a really important one that—and that takes us right back to all the old e-cigarette stuff. So mm-hmm. when you see publications, look to see where they're published, mm. check them out, check the conflicts of interest, check the funders, and even then, make your judgments. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, so, yeah, that's been an interesting area um, in terms of—but um, I, I do have to tell you that— um, uh, Craig, that just to sort of wind that up a bit, mm. that um, you mentioned that you've got a legal background, yeah. and there's an area that I think might suit your research interests of health and uh, the justice system. And, and justice system mm. Because when I take my little dog around Subiaco, mm-hmm. um, I always carry a little bag, of course, a little plastic bag. Mm-hmm and uh, she pees and she poos as dogs do but in recent months i've noticed she only poos on lawyers verges okay <laughs>
0: that's interesting
2: so i think you might want to do some you know i think you know, some interrogation <laughs> yeah. of dogs about what the association what the, yeah, yeah, is there yeah, yeah. yeah
0: really interesting yeah. so that's my suggestion to you for a new research project <laughs> have you had a, a first hand experience of Someone saying something about that to you? <laughs> <laughs> you no, know, I've discussed it with some of the lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's someone the sort of around the corner from where I live, and if I go jogging sometimes, they've got three prominent signs with a, a dog squatting and a big line through it, saying "Don't let your dog squat on our lawn." Mm-hmm. But then they they were watering their garden in the in the middle of a rainstorm the other day. I had <laughs> on.
1: Oh, I love it when people do that. Yeah, so I thought
0: that was really interesting. Yeah, yeah but, very uh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's probably a really good note to finish on. Yeah. And it's been really great having a having a chat, Mike. Yeah, I it's, your it's time. been
1: good to to learn about all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, interesting.
0: And, and, and we could chat for hours. <laughs> oh god gotcha. you. No, I'm the strong silent type. I really <laughs> do find no
2: but thanks very much. No, I think it's terrific yeah. that you're doing this podcast. Yeah. And uh, um uh, it's been fun and and yeah. I think I mean what we so need is people working in the health area who, you know, understand communication mm. and the need mm. for communication. Yeah. You know, one of the things when I I look at some research papers, how many there there are some where people um in the old days, mm. um, uh, there was a great uh, Canadian physician, Sir William Osler, who said, "Do not talk to the Delilahs of the press." You know, and even people like we talked about Sir Austin Bradford Hill, wouldn't, wouldn't didn't talk to media. The mm. job was to publish.
1: That was it, and
2: that's it. And even now, and I don't, and of course, all academics don't need to be in the media and so on, mm. but to understand communication and the sort that I really like are when people don't just publish papers, but A, they'll promote them the right way, and some um, even do little, um, you know, videos to go with them, mm, you know, the 30-second mm-hmm. mm-hmm. stuff and so on. That gets the message across. Yeah. Mm. So I think it's great that people like you are um, <laughs> active in, in, you know, promoting interesting material. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Thanks. Well, thanks very much.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll write that in our CV. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, thanks once again. and Thank yeah, you. Take care. And that was our conversation with Professor Mike Dahl.
1: Oh, boy. It kind of makes me want to to make a profile for my cat, Um, even though it's directly copying his ideas. Just, I would love that. It would be such a good and fun thing to do.
0: Yeah, it would be a lot of fun, wouldn't it?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it would be so good.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so... We've, we've covered all sorts of things there, oh, so many things. you know, like dogs as co-authors and editors of journals, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you know, the craziness around tobacco industry and, yeah. you know, how they pretend that they're not from the tobacco industry, but they set up all these companies and exactly. fund all these agencies that pretend that they're all actually promoting groups. health and and then even down to the <clears throat> the semantics around um, promoting responsible gambling and responsible mm, drinking and mm-hmm. I don't think they've tried responsible smoking yet, but <laughs> I'm sure that'll come.
1: Well, I I think it's probably just because of the, the timing of everything, right? Because mm. I feel like kind of like from this conversation, it feels like smoking was like the, the, the big thing and it was the first thing that, that public health has really influenced um, and everyone else didn't really have their messages done properly. so. Now that uh, we've kind of got this success example um, with with tobacco and smoking, all of the other health measures are kind of catching up, and industries evolved, and and now there's new things for them to tackle that maybe they didn't think about earlier, like this like responsible phrase around all these kind of things, and these
0: these are all notionally kind of recreational. Type mm. pastimes aren't they? They're sort of things. So gambling ho- often happens, you know, around sporting events and, yeah. and that sort of thing, um, as well as obviously in casinos. And then obviously drinking is something that happens. So these are not essential items. No, they're, they're sort of the um, things that get closed
1: down with lockdowns. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, um, whereas I think the the food and drink. Sector, you know, sugar sweetened beverages mm. and other foods, and you kind of have to eat. Yeah, so that's a that's a slightly more complicated area.
1: It is absolutely, you know. And
0: like Mike said, we're not against industry. No, we're you know we're against harmful industry practices, yeah. and obviously th- there's a lot of good food operators and you know drink operators and and that sort of stuff Definitely. providing good you know products that aren't going to be harmful. Food, yeah. yeah. Um, But, yeah, it's it's obviously important to make that distinction because otherwise you can kind of get lost in the noise and people just switch off thinking this person's just a negative person Mm. and they're just criticising all the time and they're not actually... You know, they're not allowing me to enjoy life. And
1: yeah, yeah. Like, what do you mean? I can't have my burger? That's terrible. So, yeah. like, no, no, you can. But yeah. You know,
0: just choose the burger wisely. Yeah, exactly. And don't, and don't have it th- three meals a day.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs>
0: um, but yeah, fascinating conversation. We could go on for hours. Mike could have clearly go- have gone on for hours. Yeah, yeah. Plenty yep. of anecdotes and great so stories, many stories there. Um, but yeah, um, it was you know a real privilege to have Mike on. Absolutely. And, and we hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. And if you did, please tweet us.
1: Yeah, you can tweet us at health means what. So, yeah, yeah please talk to us. We'd, yeah. we'd love to know your thoughts and um, uh, any any feedback or ideas about how we can improve health behaviours and, and get rid of those harmful industries yeah. as well. We'd love to hear some thoughts. And
0: if you're not on Twitter, then email us at com.
1: Yeah, that'd be yeah. great. Yeah, uh,
0: or just come and find us. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Just if you see us on the street, come say hi. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much, Courtney. No,
1: thank you, Craig.
0: And thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll be back soon. The Meaning of Health podcast is produced with the support of the School of Population and Global Health and the Education Enhancement Unit at the University of Western Australia. The podcast is produced by Craig Cumming and Courtney Webber with music by Craig Cumming.